Welcome to another episode of Open Door Policy. Today we are blessed to meet with another missionary disciple who is unleashing the gospel in a unique way in the Archdiocese of Detroit. We are blessed to have Teresa Tamio, the host of Catholic Connection, on our show today. Teresa, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Father, this is weird. You see, I'm interviewing you. <laughs> it's kind of the other way around now. Let's see how you like it. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> wow. be great. Uh, and Danielle, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to be here. I'm glad to be here with you guys. That's awesome. That's great. Danielle, what is God doing in your life? Tell me, uh, tell me a grace. Well, of course, everything is a little bit slow with quarantine, but um, I planted tulips years ago. And of course they come up first, right? Bulb flowers come up first. So my mom's daffodils came up and my tulips came up and that just brings me a lot of joy. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? That's awesome. Uh, I am quarantined with uh, six other priests here at Sacred Heart Seminary. And um, we have been doing a little movie night a couple of times a week. That and, is the cutest uh, thing. <laughs> it's not cute, okay? Yes. We're watching real guy <laughs> movies, nothing cute about it. But we watched uh, some kind of classics that I've never seen. And uh, one of them was Rio Bravo, an old John Wayne Western, which was uh, just a ton of fun. You want that gun pick it up? That's super cool. Teresa, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great. Great to hear your voices. Are you quarantined in Michigan or are you somewhere else? Oh, yeah. No, no. I live in southeastern Michigan, uh, the east side member of uh, the wonderful St. Joan of Arc Parish. And it's been funny because uh, my husband, Deacon Dom, is one of the two deacons there at the parish. And of course, Monsignor Bergeron has been doing the live stream masses. And so Dom either has the 4 p.m. on Saturday or the 8 a.m. And so I pick which mass I'm going to watch. And what's kind of neat is that, you know, we've been married for, gosh, 36 years, going on 37 in September, and I've been in, on the air in Detroit since dirt. And so uh, I'm used to being recognized. And now what I'm, I'm finding is we, we walk every day, you know, can't go out and get fresh air and we walk and, and people are recognizing him on the street. And I'm like, welcome to my world. <laughs> what a sweet story. Oh, he's such a nice guy. Okay, let's jump into rapid fire questions and I'll start us out and then Father Steve will take the last few. First question, what was your first job? Uh, my very first job was in my high school gift shop, which I totally failed at and was giving stuff away because I was so bad at math. <laughs> what is the most beautiful? At South Lake High School in St. Clair Shore. Perfect. What was the most beautiful church you have ever visited? Oh my goodness, that is a tough question, Danielle. Um, Well, my favorite church in the Holy Land is the Primacy of Peter on the Sea of Galilee, along with Holy Sepulchre and Galagantu. But I have to say probably St. Peter's and then Santa Cecilia in Rome. Super beautiful. And what is the most recent song that was stuck in your head? Oh, the most recent song that was stuck in my head. Um, Volare, because I miss Italy so much. Aw. And in which fictional world would you like to live? Under the Tuscan Sun. Okay. By Frances Mays, because I'm all about Italy. Of course, that's really based on her life story, so it's half fiction, half true, but uh, anything having to do with it. Quasi-fictional, right? Yeah, that's fine. There's there's no police, rapid-fire police. What is your favorite breakfast food? Um, frittata. Everything's Italian. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting okay. the theme here. Yeah. <laughs> Got uh, it. Teresa, what's a location where you had a powerful encounter with God? Oh my gosh. Well, it, there's so many, but I have to say my, a lot of my experiences 
have been based in my home parish of St. Joan of Arc. That's where I found my vocation. Um, that's a parish I was raised in. And right before um, Christmas, again, I had another powerful moment, um, you know, right after communion. So that's just a very powerful place for me. And it's it's really difficult not to be able to go into St. Joan since the church means so much to me. We'll, we'll circle back to that in a minute, but a uh, few more questions for you. Is there a, do you have a favorite Bible verse? Yes, I do. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man departs from me, if a man stays in me, he will do much good. If not, apart from me, he will do nothing. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Um, let's see, gosh, Old Testament. So, so that's two already. You've already named two. We just wanted one. So One. The John 15, 5 is my favorite. All right. Person. Awesome. Other than Danielle Center, who's the most famous person you've met? Wow. Gosh, I've met all kinds of fa uh, famous people because of my work yeah. as a television reporter. Um, most famous? It's kind of hard to narrow it down because I've met a lot of movie stars and actors and actresses, bishops, cardinals. I've never met the popes, though. I've gotten very close to them. Pope John Paul II, Benedict M. Francis, but never met them. But I would say probably Hollywood celebrities that I've, I've gotten close to because of my work in the secular media. Awesome. Who is your hero? Who would you say your hero is? Uh, alive or in anyone in, uh, other than Jesus? Lord. You can't choose Jesus, but anyone other than else. Jesus, right? Saint Teresa of Avila, uh, Saint Catherine of Siena. Awesome. And last question: What is the favorite book that you have ever read? Your favorite book? Uh, probably *Lay Siege to Heaven* by Louis DeWall, which is about Saint Catherine of Siena. Okay. Awesome. All Thank right. You. Thank you. That was great work. I I think I'm going to ask the obvious question. And even though I know the answer, but of course, it's for listeners who might not. Are you Italian or like, where does this love of Italy come from? <laughs> am I Italian? Is the Pope Catholic as the question goes? Uh, yes, I am, Danielle. I am 100% Italian. Uh, all the way back, I've, I've researched my family history. I've been to all the towns in Italy of my family heritage and even uh, spent the night in a little town in Basilicata where my mother's mother is from. Uh, my mother's mother from Basilicata, a little town of Anzi. Her father from Campania, not too far away in the mountains, uh, south of Naples, from a little town called Cicerale. And my father, both his parents, hail from Reggio di Calabria. So everybody is south, but all the way back, both sides of the family. And and this family came to Michigan, or um, did they come to New York? They originally came. I was actually born on the East Coast. Okay. They were... Yeah, they were. From, um, they immigrated. The whole family, all my relatives. Uh, they either came to the United States or went down to Argentina. A lot of Italians after the war, or even before the war, World War II, did go down to Argentina, which is what happened to um, Pope Francis's family because he's uh, his mm -hmm. family is from the north. Uh, but my family is from the south. But they immigrated. Uh, some of them immigrated through uh, Messina, the Straits of Messina in Sicily. Others came through Naples and went to, to the east coast. So my mother's whole family. And my father's whole family, were, my dad and my mom were born in New Jersey. They're mm. um, first generation. I'm second generation. And I was actually born in Jersey City, but raised in Michigan. We moved to Michigan when I was five. Got it. And you, you chose, even though you had this great love of Italy, you chose a Spanish saint for your hero, Teresa of Avila. Yeah. What do you love about Teresa mm -hmm. of Avila? Um, she's very shy like me. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Very quiet, like me. Yeah. No, I well, I was named after her actually, and I didn't know that much about her until I started going to Catholic school at St. Joan, and then I started to do some research. And what I liked about her was her directness with the Lord, and how she had a real sense of humor, and she was very feisty. 
And she told the Lord exactly how she felt. And, you know, she had quite a, a, a dry sense of humor. And I also think her love of, um, of just life, because she played the tambourine. She loved to dance. One of her famous saying is, is Lord preserve us from sour faced saints. Mm. So I just really enjoyed uh, reading about her and her spunkiness, her feistiness, but also just her love of Jesus. That's awesome. <laughs> In uh, the joy of the gospel, Pope Francis uses the term sour pusses. And so when I was reading it and I thought, I have to go look this up in Latin and see what this term is in Latin. Oh, gosh. And, and I wish what I remembered it. it. I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I did. I was reading it and he said something very much like this. We don't need sourpuss saints, right? We don't need people who look like mm -hmm. they're coming from a funeral all the time. And I thought, what does sourpuss uh, translate into in uh, in Latin? So, like, uh, is it stronger <laughs> or is it like lighter? Yeah. Like well, I can tell you what it means and how you say it in Italian. In Italian for uh, sourpuss, my father used to say growing up, no funja face, which is actually mushroom. Oh, oh golly. So the Italians would say funja, so like the no frowning, right? Oh, well, uh, there you go. Awesome. Well, Teresa, thanks for sharing this little uh, these little answers so we can get to know you a little better. That was fun. Teresa, I'm a bit curious about this story that happened late last year at St. Joan of Arc. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes. Okay. So it, it goes all the way back, Danielle, to when I was in grade school at St. Joan and I made my um, first Holy Communion. And my mom, before uh, the actual communion event, before the whole classes, and the classes used to make communion as a whole. So it was really quite a big deal. They had a, um, a store at the Catholic bookstore came in and set up shop in a couple of classrooms. And my mom said, well, let's go in and you can pick out anything as a little present for you communion. And if anybody knows me, I'm a super girly girl. I love accessories. Good. I love gloves. I love hats. I love purses. I love to accessorize. Okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm very much a girly girl. So we go into this room, this beautifully set up with the little mother of pearl, fake mother of pearl, you know, covers on the communion books, the little purses, the little white rosaries, lace gloves, handkerchiefs, all these things, very girly. But for whatever reason, I, I go and make a beeline for this statue of Jesus. And it's Jesus at the bottom, it says he's holding a chalice. At the bottom, there are two little cherubs on either side of his feet. And at the bottom of it, it says, Panis Angelicus, the bread of angels. Mm. And so um, fast forward now to 2019, and, and I'm at, I think it was six o'clock mass, and Dom was serving as a deacon. So I'm sitting there in St. Joan, and I'm staring at the, um, the risen Lord that we have um, hanging above the altar on the cross, and I'm just thinking about, uh, for whatever reason, uh, that statue, which I still have, by the way, and never lost. And I was just kind of pondering after I received the Lord in, in Holy Eucharist, and in my prayer time, I was just pondering and saying, you know, Lord, it's so amazing. I made my communion here so many years ago. I got that statue and I still have it. And I have it under my pillow to this day. Never lost it through all the college dorms, all the apartments, all the places where Deacon Dom and I have lived. It's still with me. And I'm like, that is so amazing. And thank you so much. And all of a sudden, I hear the song Panis Angelicus being played by the vocalist. Now, Panis Angelicus, as we know, is not something you hear and this was still ordinary time. This was before Christmas. It's not something you normally hear in ordinary time. It's usually associated with a holiday, a church holiday, especially Easter. And I was thinking about the words on the statue and all of a sudden the song starts mm. to play. 
And I started to cry. And of course, Dominic's looking at me from the altar like, what in the world is going <laughs> good, on? Good, good, good. <laughs> Not yeah. that he's very surprised because I'm a very emotional person, but it was so powerful to me that God was acknowledging the experience that I had. It was a very powerful experience when I received my Holy Communion as well, because I just connected. I didn't have a head knowledge of the Eucharist, but I had a heart knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I was so moved by it that I actually wrote about it, wrote, wrote about the experience for my um, column in Our Sunday Visitor. So that's my Eucharist story, my Pontius Angelicus story. Yeah, Thank you. You've, met, you've mentioned a few times, or you mentioned that uh, that's been a, a, a place where God speaks to you pretty powerfully in your home church there. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, is there something just kind of like the the time of being there? Is there a particular place or you talked about the 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 image above the altar. Is there anything in the church that kind of leads you into prayer most especially? I think it's it's the whole experience and the fact that I found my vocation at St. Joan of Arc grade school. I graduated from grade school in um, 1973, and I had great lay teachers and great religious teachers, Father. And the, the sisters at an early age recognized, I know this is a shock, my gift for gab, <laughs> And they were the ones who encouraged me to pursue communications along with some very, very good lay teachers who recognized that I had a gift for, for writing. That's amazing. And they were the ones who encouraged me. And that, that means a lot to me. Plus the powerful experience I had when I made my first Holy Communion where I just knew that that was Jesus in the Eucharist. And, and that's what kept me rooted. Even though I fell away from the faith, I never, ever considered joining another church when I was making my way back to Christ because I just knew that the church was, and again, it was more of a heart knowledge. The church had the fullness of the Catholic church had the fullness of truth. Did you and Deacon Dom get married there? Yes, we did. Yep. We got married there. I made my Holy Communion there. I made my confirmation there. I was baptized in New Jersey where I was born, but everything else, St. Joan of Arc. Man, you're a lifer. That's amazing. Not everyone has that grace to build like a full life of faith at a parish. My, my childhood parish, um, was sold and is and and was uh, taken apart. So it, it doesn't exist anymore. So there's something really cool that you're able to, you know, return to this place where you had these sacraments and, you know, renew these memories in your mind. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. And, and it's neat, uh, Danielle, because when Dom was ordained back in 2012, we were assigned to um, St. Angela's, which is now closed in St. Isaac Jogues, great parish. And we were there for um, almost seven years we really were hoping that we could go to St. Joan, but oftentimes, and I, I think this is really good. They don't necessarily send you to your home parish. Sure. I think having a different experience is, is very wise. And so you can meet new people and, and you can just experience a different parish and what other people are, are going through in that particular situation. And, and then kind of like hone your, 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 your homiletic skills and, and other things in terms of reaching out to the parishioners. So we had um, seven and a half really good years there, and and Monsignor B, M- Monsignor Bulgarian, who happens to be my spiritual director, you know, said, "Dom, we'd love to have you, and and T, join us if anything ever opens up. I'll, you know, um, let me know, and we'll apply for it." And so we did have one of the deacons leave St. Joan. The opening came up, and we put in. Took about a year for the process to go through, but um, Dom was reassigned uh, last summer. So it's been great. Teresa, I know you've talked a lot about your uh, conversion in, in other places, other times. Maybe could you share with us one or two things when you came back to your faith, one of, one or two of the maybe the most challenging parts to, to overcome, whether it was career or the kind of the humility or kind of uh, returning to the regular practice of um, 
kind of the routine of the faith or or something that that was consoling so anything that was particularly challenging or consoling as you came back to the faith I, I think there's there's um, a lot of what I experienced. I think the humility factor is is really big because I had to let go of a very um, successful secular media career where I was on the air every night, coming into people's homes on Channel Seven, Channel Fifty, on top radio stations here in the Detroit area. My last job uh, after I had my reversion to the faith, uh, profound experience um, when I was fired from one position, and then you know, made my way slowly back to God. Um, when my last job was as a news director at a big station here in Detroit, and I was making a lot of money. But at that time, even though I was back in the faith and Dominic and I were growing really quickly doing Bible studies and getting really active at the parish, I was miserable in the business, but I didn't know what else to do. And sure. to be perfectly honest, I didn't want to give a, yeah, I didn't want to give away the money, mm-hmm. nor did I want to give away, especially the limelight. I mean, I really enjoyed going into the local Italian market and getting free salamis and watermelons. <laughs> I mean, that's really nice, you know, I mean, there's a certain advantage that comes along with being a celebrity, let's be honest. But at the same time, it's like, well, God would never want me to leave the media. What would I do? What does he want me to do? You know, um, but I realized that I was I was still not letting go and letting God. And I really felt God saying, OK, can you give this up for me? Can you give up the media? And I thought, you know what? Yeah, hmm. I think I can, because God had saved our marriage. We came very close to divorce. He had turned our lives around. He had done everything for us. And I said, you know what, Lord, you've saved my marriage. You've saved basically my soul, my life, to be quite honest. Whatever you want me to do, I don't understand it. I don't know what's going to happen. But Jesus, I trust in you. And things didn't happen overnight. But at the same time, when I left that job, I had my um, station manager buy my contract out. And I took the money and started my own company, which I still have today, communications company. I didn't exactly know what I was going to do. With that company, I knew I could do public relations, media relations, crisis media management. But other than that, I didn't know if I'd ever be on the air again. And I said, you know what? Okay. It was 20 years at that point in the media. I had a great run, hit every goal I wanted to do in terms mm-hmm. of being a broadcaster. I said, whatever, Lord. And then I just really never looked back. Um, but the humility factor of walking away from a prominent position was was a big deal. But when I finally let it go, a great peace came. And eventually God showed me how he wanted to use my communication skills differently. It's so beautiful. And and I think there's one thing to be where you are now and look back and be like, oh, look, God took care of it. But it's another thing when you're in that position and wondering, can I really let go? And will God really catch me? And that takes so mm-hmm. much faith and so much trust. And you don't even know a timeline, right? It's one thing for us to look back and be like, I don't even know. I don't know how long it was until you got the next job, but say it's, you know, a year. Well, to look back and be like, oh, it was a year. It, it seems like nothing. But when you're in that year, it seems a lot longer. So it's just really beautiful that you can look back now and say, oh, God was there the whole time. I think because we had such a profound um, reversion, uh, Deacon Dom came back to the church about a year before I did, and the miracles that occurred in our marriage being saved when we became, um, all, we, we actually separated twice, and, and the fact that God not only healed our marriage, but led us to a point where he would discern and eventually go into the diaconate, and then I would be uh, you know, working from, primarily for the church in terms of evangelization. Mm-hmm. But thinking back at that particular time, our marriage had been healed. We had gone to a marriage encounter. We were involved in the engaged encounter at our parish. We were thriving. And I'm thinking, and I'm not willing to 
take a step for God and not trust him enough when he's done all this for me. So I think because we had so many profound experiences, it was like, okay, you know what? God, uh, you know, keeps his word and you let go and you let God. And the, the beautiful thing is, you know, God does this for you and in your life, but obviously through all of your ministry, he's doing this so that you can share this experience and share God's love with other people. So uh, thanks for sharing your testimony with us. You're welcome. So Teresa, we get to live in, I mean, not to be bragging here, but the best archdiocese in the country, I think, with uh, the way, you know, I think God is doing some incredible things. And it's not a contest about what he's doing in other places, but he's doing things in Detroit that I think like it just, we just need to be grateful for all that God is doing and wants to do. And I know you've had a front row seat to all of this with uh, being in the archdiocese, your husband being a deacon, and seeing how the Lord is using all of the graces in the archdiocese of Detroit to prepare us to unleash the gospel, not just in good times, not just when the economy's rolling and we can kind of do everything we want, but to be his joyful missionary disciples, even when we're in the midst of a pandemic. And I know you've written a book recently about how to do this. What Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you talk about putting your faith, uh, how faith can put your fears to rest? Yeah, first I want to brag on the archdiocese because no brag, just fact. <laughs> you know, it's true. I and mean, it's it's pretty incredible because I, I do have a, a, a really unique view as a deacon's wife here in the archdiocese, but also as a Catholic talk show host. It's a two-hour show, as you know, Father, because you've been a, a regular guest in both the local and the national hours. And so the first hour is primarily Archdiocese of Detroit and then the Diocese of Lansing and Western Michigan and parts of Indiana and Ohio that pick up that first hour, not to mention the fact that we have um, thousands of people that listen on the app for the whole two hours on the Ave Maria radio app. And the second hour is a national hour. But because of, of wanting to, to put an emphasis for our Michigan and Midwest listeners, I, invariably, there's always something that's happening in the archdiocese. And I'm so proud because I cannot keep up with everything you guys are doing. It's like crazy. It's great. You know, I, I look at the, 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 all the great stories that are on, you know, Detroit Catholic and every once in a while I'm emailing Dan and saying, Hey, Dan Malloy, give me this information. I want to do this story. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's just, it's really, really a great resource for me as a talk show host. And then I have to say this again, no brag, just fact. But I travel all the time. Obviously, none of us is traveling right now because of the sure. pandemic. But everywhere I go, and I'm usually speaking out at least three or four times a month, I get the questions. The first one is always, do you know Father John Ricardo? And I told Ricardo that I'm getting a sandwich board that says yes on the front. <laughs> and the question on the back is, yes, I know Father John Ricardo. But I also get questions about Archbishop Ignorant. I always say, your Archbishop, is he for real? Because I don't know if people think he's like fake or something or that he's one of those like, you know, stand up. <laughs> they just looks too good to be true. It sounds too good to be true. I say, oh, no, he's the real thing. And then, of course, Sacred Heart Major Seminary and all the stuff that's going on there. And then another big question that comes up in the conversation is unleash the gospel mm-hmm. because so many people have either heard about it or using it, or both. So I just wanted to put that out there because I'm very proud of what we're doing in the archdiocese. That's so beautiful. Is it? It is. I mean, I hear this from people all the time. I mean, people come up to me and say, "You are so blessed to be in the archdiocese of Detroit. There's so much going on," and it's true. And there's been something going on in um, your life too. You were sharing with us on on break a little bit. Um, 
of course, a very sad thing. You you had a loss in your family. Can you uh, tell us a little bit yeah. about that? Yes, my mom, uh, my beautiful 93-year-old mom, she would have been 94 wow. um, this month on May 29th, and she passed away, not from COVID, but from congestive heart failure. And we knew that she was starting to, to fade, and we expected it to happen. Didn't expect it to happen um, in March, but it was God's timing. And I think about you think about when, when someone passes, and, and you think, well, what, what good could come out of losing a loved one? But if you look at it through the lenses, as Al always says, Al Cresta, lenses of scripture and teachings of the church, you can see God's hand over it. And I, I am, I'm grateful that my mom didn't suffer. She died on the Feast of St. Joseph, the, of course, um, patron of a happy death. And she died very peacefully. She, her heart was slowing down and she just went to sleep and, and never woke up. Um, took a few days, but it was very peaceful. Um, and the other thing I really thought about in God's timing is that my mother and I are both uh, very, very social people, very outgoing, very affectionate. My mom, everybody loved my mom. She had this crazy, adorable Jersey eight accent <laughs> and the older she got, the stronger the accent was. And so people knew her for saying, Oh, how are you? How are you? So good to see you. Oh my God, you look wonderful. I mean, she just sounded like, you know, right off, right off the, the boat in Brooklyn or something, but she never lost that accent and she was very charming. And I could not imagine her having to go through two months of, or me, two months of that isolation. So God's grace there. It was, it was painful, but at the same time, it taught me so much about God's grace, even though we could not have a funeral liturgy for her. And my wonderful pastor, Monsignor Bagheran, walked us through all the steps and what we could and couldn't do and, and wanted to have a mass because he celebrated the funeral mass for my father 10 years ago. And it was so beautiful with the choir and, oh, it was just great. Yeah. But his support that was there, and I felt myself, I felt the need to put that on right, in writing, to explain to people that, look, and that's the, what the title you mentioned earlier, Father, the title of the book is Conquering Coronavirus, How Faith Can Put Our Fears to Rest, that through all of this craziness that we're experiencing now, whatever the situation is, God forbid, if you if you lose a loved one, whether it be from COVID or something else, that God is with us in the good times and the bad. Mm. And if we say, Jesus, I trust in you, and we just, even even if we're going through a stubborn moment as I was, because at, at one point I was very frustrated the day we were burying my mom, it was pouring rain, and I'm thinking, how is this going to work? And I was just having all these St. Teresa of Avila moments, this is the way you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. Mm -hmm. But God showed up right then and there when she was being buried through two of my friends. It's It's an experience I'm putting in the book. But I wanted to write this this book to have people look at this from a bigger perspective. Everybody is thinking about pandemic, pandemic. When are we going to get out of this? When is everything going to be reopened? What's going to go on? Blah, blah, blah. When are we going to get back to mass? But this is not the only crisis that we're ever going to face. And so what are we learning right now? I don't want people to forget because I remember 9-11. And I remember being, I was working, I think it was my first job in, in the Christian world. I was working at the local um, FM evangelical station, the only Catholic at that station, which was a, a very um, powerful experience for me. But I can remember covering that back then and how the churches literally overnight were filled up and they stayed that way for a few months. But if you look at the surveys that I mentioned in the book, a year after September 11th, they went back to where they were before. And so all these people, many of whom showed up anonymously, came to the churches, whether they be Protestant or Catholic, and filled the pews. Then they went away. They went back to basically their normal, their old normal. I'm hoping that we can step back. And as Archbishop Vigneron said um, during Holy Week, that it's still about evangelization, and especially now that we need to reach out. 
because the surveys and the research shows that people, once again, as they were during 9-11, are looking, are searching, are questioning. Bible sales are through the roof. Uh, the masses, and Father, you know this, yeah. the, the viewing, the numbers are very high. Um, Monsignor Bergeron just said recently that our masses online at St. Joan, people in Portugal, Poland, Brazil, Guam, I mean, come on, mm-hmm. in addition to right here in, in southeastern Michigan. So the book is is about, okay, what happened here? Did then God did not cause this. I don't believe that. Some people may. I don't. I think we serve a loving God, a merciful God, but he allows things to happen in his providence and wisdom. What is he doing? Why is he allowing this? I think he's doing it to get our attention. Father John Mercado said something beautiful in an interview we did that he believes that God is, is allowing us to reboot and to look at the crowns because the word Corona means crown in Latin and Italian. What crowns have we placed on the shelves of our lives do we worship that need to be taken down and replaced by our relationship with God and our family? I think this is much bigger than this pandemic. And I think it's a huge opportunity for evangelization, for rebooting the domestic church. There's so much that God is, is allowing us to do at this time, and I don't want us to lose it. So that's why I put this in the book. And there's great resources and prayers and positive, uplifting stories, many of which are based on some some of the great things we've been doing here in the Archdiocese of Detroit. I'm proud to say the AOD is all over this book because it's where I live, it's where I worship, and I'm very proud of what we do. But I think people will find it really hopeful and really encouraging. And because I'm a journalist, I'm all about the resources. So at the end of the book, I have just tons of resources in there for all kinds of situations, in addition to what we're going through right now. You have a chapter on creativity too. And I think that's one of the graces that's coming out of this is, you know, the, mm-hmm. there is, and Teresa, we talked about it soon after um, the suspension of public masses came out, that this is a real challenge for lots of people. And and it's not to downplay the the difficulty that it is, but I think it is an opportunity for us to think about creative ways to share the gospel and to say, how, how are yeah. we helping people um, to know Jesus who maybe are not in the habit of coming on Sunday morning or Saturday evening? And what are some different ways that we can find to share the good news of what our parishes are doing, whether it's the beauty of our churches or the, the beauty of kind of the richness of Catholicism, whether it's the truth of what, what we know, um, the truth of, especially in the season of Easter, how we can point to Jesus's definitive victory over sin and death in his resurrection. Um, but especially, I think, in these days, it's the goodness of, uh, of Christians and the way we're called to be creative in the way we love each other, being creative and in, in looking mm-hmm. for ways to build each other up. You know, uh, I'm here at Sacred Heart Seminary and usually go for a walk every day through the neighborhood across the street. And it's just kind of cool to see like sidewalk chalk, uh, kind of positive messages mm. out there to see people smiling and being a little bit more friendly. And I think, you know, even though we are physically distant from each other, I feel like God wants to do something to open our hearts so that we can just be a little bit more, uh, outside of our own personal bubble and desiring to connect with other people and to bring the goodness of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus out from our churches into the world. I think there, there's a, a great appreciation of the mass when people are watching it now on the internet and they're, they're, really, they're really focusing in on the parts of the mass and looking at it much differently and much more um, intimately when they're seeing it on the screen. 
And I know that every weekend when I watch mass at, at my parish at St. Joan, I, I'm, I'm looking at that, that experience. I'm sharing that experience again in my mind, Danielle, that, that I just um, shared with you earlier. And I look at that beautiful image of our Lord with his arms open and the beautiful mosaic of St. Joan on the back of the altar and looking at all the different, the, the church is so beautiful. And just saying to myself, I never want to take that building for granted again. As a matter of fact, I was doing an interview last week with Brian Patrick on his weekend show on EW10 Radio. And he said, what are you going to do when your parish opens his doors? And I just burst into tears. And I said, I probably will be like Pope John Paul II and kiss the ground (laughs) because I I miss it so much. That that structure is so familiar with me. But there's so many great things going on. And so many of our priests were right in, in the middle of that, right here in the archdiocese. And so I share a lot of the stories in the book. And, and what I also say too, is that it's really the corporal and spiritual works of mercy that are being performed. And, and many people don't even know they're, they're performing the, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Even if they're, if they have no faith at all, if, if the law of the Lord, as St. Paul says, is written on their hearts, they're acting out on it. And there's a beautiful appreciation for the dignity of the human person, even by people uh, that we might not expect to see engaging in this. And I think this, the human spirit and, and the beauty of who we are made in the image and likeness of God, it's enabling us to see this and, and to see a lot of things differently, I hope. I was talking to a, a friend today and he works in the medical field and we were talking about, um, he was talking about, uh, we were talking about like physical health, of course, with coronavirus because he works in the hospital system, but then he jumped to mental health as well. And to, um, you know, even people who aren't going through um, the physical end of coronavirus, a lot of them have a hard time during quarantine with their mental health. And and he and I both said, you know, we're really fortunate to have a good toolbox, um, you know, good support systems, a life of prayer, healthy habits, right? These things that we can rely on. But I think that that's, that's something that I'm thinking about a lot too in this time is how, what about the people in in our lives on our social media feed who don't have that same kind of structure and support and how do we reach them too right so that's not just parish level but that's also like the individual level right because i mean like a church can't reach that person in the same way that i Danielle Center can by calling, by private messaging, that kind of thing. So I think that that's something really unique to this situation. I mean, you can always do that, but this kind of gives it like a a nice little excuse, you know, like, oh, I just wanted to check in. Well, I think Archbishop Vigneron has been talking a lot about this too, you know, talking about, you know, we have to continue to evangelize and we have to obviously evangelize ourselves and re-evangelize ourselves and our families. But I think this is a great opportunity to reach out to some of those people and, and maybe invite them into like all these different great Zoom meetings that are going on. I just got a call the other night from my friend Damon Owens, who's with the Joy to Be, the Theology of the Body group that he does, and they're doing an online marriage retreat that's going to be coming up at the end of the month. We've got Ken and Sydney Castell that are doing couple prayer uh, that that's being sponsored uh, by the Archdiocese. Uh, uh, I think it's a three-week series that they're doing, and they're coming in. And so these are the types of things where it's very non-invasive. Where we can just invite someone and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing online tonight. It's really cool. I think it might give you some hope or maybe we can listen to this together. Uh, maybe you can watch this. I, I think it's really, really important because you're right. I mean, we have it's, it's hard enough for us to be away from family and friends physically. Mm-hmm. 
but we have these tools and, and we know it's available to us. And if it's tough for us, imagine the person who doesn't have that, but it's, it's right now is this perfect time, God's timing to reach out to those people and to truly, I mean, what an opportunity to unleash the gospel. Amen, sure. Teresa. That, that's beautiful. God is doing awesome things in Detroit. He's doing awesome things through you in the Archdiocese and beyond. And so grateful for the way you're using your gifts, especially in your new book, Conquering Coronavirus, uh, to, uh, to bring people closer to Christ. As we finish up each episode, we give our guests the last word. Do you have any, any kind of prayer or final word you want to leave with us for those who listen here? I would just say that uh, I, I hope that those listening will really take advantage of all the great tools we have in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Maybe I'm a little bit biased because my husband's a deacon in the Archdiocese, but I can't tell you how many people, and just want to emphasize when I travel, what I hear, people come up to me. I don't go up to people and say, hey, what do you think of what we're doing in the Archdiocese mm -hmm. of Detroit? I'm very proud of it, and I often refer to it in my talks, but people come up to me un. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, you know, ask for it. They come up and it's spontaneity and they say, you're really blessed to be in the Archdiocese. So I hope we, we appreciate it. I know I do. Um, I grew up here. I'm blessed to to be able to work with people like you and, and just promote what you're doing. And I do hope people get a copy of the book because I wrote it for the long term. Although it picks up on what we're experiencing now, Conquering Coronavirus has a ton of resources, a ton of uplifting sources. And I just hope they, they like it, including all the resources I have from the Archdiocese of Detroit. I think it will help them. You can use it as a Bible study. There's questions after each chapter, reflection questions. Uh, it's just very uplifting with stories of hope and great ideas and how to evangelize. So they can just go to my website, TeresaTomio.com, and check it out. But we are blessed, and I'm so honored. And it was fun to be on the other side of the yeah. microphone for a change. Well, thank you so well, much. Thank you so much <laughs> for coming. You're welcome. Thank you. It was a great blessing to have Teresa Tamio join us in the Open Door Policy Studio today to hear the, the way that she is building up the Archdiocese of Detroit around the country and sharing her gifts to help us conquer the coronavirus. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your Trader Joe cashier. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Open Door Detroit. Help us unleash the gospel. Open Door Policy was produced by Ron Pangborn and the creative team of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Oh my God, you look wonderful. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy.